Okay, at this point, we have at least 21 people who have refuted that story in the Atlantic that the media refuses to give up on, claiming that President Trump insulted and disparaged war heroes. 21 people have said the story never happened, including John Bolton. We'll get to that coming up. This is turning out to be a real embarrassment for the Atlantic. I mean, how clear is it that this is fake news? Dan Rather said about this story, quote, whether he said it or not, it is believable, end quote. Dan Rather is a former CBS news anchor. He actually was fired because, or forced to resign back in 2004 because he reported fake news about George W. Bush dodging the draft, dodging the, the, the Vietnam draft. And Dan Rather, the former news anchor, says whether he said it or not, it is believable. So that has become the new standard. We don't care if Trump said it or didn't say it. As long as it sounds like something that Trump would have said, that's good enough. That's a scandal. All right, we have new poll numbers to get to. Some good news in the polls, some not such good news. All right, a caller has pointed out, actually a friend of mine, but he left me a message on the hotline saying that Elon Omar is talking about racial oppression, the radical Islamist Elon Omar. How about the fact that Muslims were the ones who began the practice hundreds of years ago of making black people slaves? And it actually comes from Muslims. Talk about the hypocrisy of Elon Omar. She began this racial oppression. It's amazing. It is amazing how everybody, like these days, the media clumps together uh, Islam and the blacks. They're both like equivalent minorities and ignores a lot of the history. And the caller points out, I was not aware of this, that the Arabic word for black person actually means slave. So she's talking about centuries of racial oppression. Uh, It began with her own nationality with her own people. So that's a really great point there made by that caller. Ben Shapiro, he says that Elon Omar, anybody who calls her a fringe or a radical Democrat is way off base. Elon Omar is a mainstream Democrat, and he makes the point that she was endorsed by Nancy Pelosi. So if you have the Speaker of the House, somebody who's been an establishment Democrat for decades, for many, many, many years, and you got this vicious anti-Semite, anti-American, pro-ISIS congresswoman, who originally comes from Somalia, Ilan Omar, and all the insults that she has, uh, but not, ju- not just against Jews, but against the United States, but obviously she's made many, many very, very despicable anti-Semitic comments against Jews, and Nancy Pelosi endorsed her. So it doesn't get any more mainstream than that. She appeared on the cover of a magazine side-by-side with Nancy Pelosi, so do not tell me that Ilan Omar is fringe or radical. You know what this is like? It would be the equivalent of President Trump endorsing a member of the KKK. Think about that. Nancy Pelosi endorsing Elon Omar. That's the equivalent of a Repu- mainstream Republican endorsing a member of the KKK. That's the that's the Omar equivalent. She's on, she on the left is to the left is what KKK is to the right. My uncle made the following point to me today. You know, the media is obsessing over this story in the Atlantic, this 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 bogus story. I mean, it's been debunked by so many. It's 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 based on anonymous sources to begin with, and it's been debunked by at least 21 officials who were actually there present, or most of them were there at the time that this was supposed to have happened, that Trump was supposed to have said these comments uh, disparaging and insulting the military. And so you have anonymous sources on one side who are clearly out to get Trump, and then you have 21 people who are not anonymous, who are willing, who are brave enough to put their name on this. And So anyway, my uncle made the point 
How about the Democrats, the the insults that they level at the police? It's it's like here they are. Talk about the hypocrisy here that uh, they're getting all up in arms. Let's let's pretend for a moment that it would be true that Trump said something mean and vicious against the military. Uh, why is and, and, and the Democrats are outraged and the media is outraged. And yet all we've heard for months is, is about how much of the kind of monsters and how what what horrible people police are from the Democrats, the Democrat Party. That is like their platform in 2020 is that Trump is responsible for COVID-19 and that the police are evil. And, and, and as my uncle said it very well, the police are the equivalent, the domestic equivalent of the military. The military, they put their lives on the line and many of them die for, to protect their country. The police day in and day out. And by the way, it's it's not only when there's a war. It happens every day of their lives where they literally jeopardize their lives. They put their own lives at risk. Uh, they, you know, they, 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 they literally die to defend uh, Americans in, in the United States, in their own local city. So isn't that the exact same thing? So you'll tell me, well, you know, there are there are a few bad apples uh, amongst the police. So therefore, that gives the Democrats the right to generalize about the entire the entire police force, the the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of policemen around the country. So many of them are people who are good, legitimate, caring people, people who literally risk their lives. I mean, I could say the same thing about the military. That uh, they claim that Trump insulted, you know, there's going to be a few bad apples in the military. There are there are stories about soldiers who occasionally do vicious, horrific things, but that doesn't mean you dispatch. So they get all angry at Trump for disparaging the military, and yet that is. And by the way, that's their platform. You know, their, their platform. It's not just like you know. Even if Trump said this, it was something that he said privately to his advisors. Uh, but but uh, but it, the Democrats, it's not just something private. They get on the news. I mean, they're all over the place disparaging and insulting the police. And where's the media? Not not only does the media not attack the, the Democrats for it, the media actually praises the Democrats and celebrates that. So it's just a total double standard, as we've come to expect from the media. But this is becoming a big embarrassment here. Let me read you some of the denials over here. It's been less than a week since this anonymous report claiming President Trump disparaged fallen soldiers and wounded veterans. So Kaylee McEnany on Fox News, she, she said there are 19 people who have gone on the record denying the story by Jeffrey Goldberg, who's the editor-in-chief of The Atlantic. She said more than a dozen of them have been first-hand accounts. So more, more than 12 of the deniers actually saw it. I guess other people heard about it secondhand from people who were there. But more than 12 people were there, and they said it's not true. And then after that, she had said 19, and then two more people were added to the list. Nick Ayers, who was the chief of staff of Mike Pence, um, he said that the story is not true. Brian Morgenstern, deputy press secretary at the White House, uh, he shared a denial from Major General William Matz, who said he was the host of the event, the event that the article in The Atlantic is talking about. Again, they're specifying they know where Trump was when he said it, and people who were there said it never happened, at least 12, 13 people. And this Major General William Metz, he was the host of the event that was, quote, discussed by the false and despicable article in The Atlantic. Um, and by the way, this article not only said that President Trump called dead U.S. soldiers losers, but it said Trump rejected a visit to a World War One memorial in France because he was worried about the weather affecting his hair and that he asked staff who were planning for a military parade to keep wounded veterans away. So, again, this has been abjectly denied by 21 people at this point, including by John Bolton, who is no fan whatsoever of President Trump. He said that the reason Trump did cancel, the, 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 the trip to the cemetery was canceled was because of the weather and it had nothing to do with 
President Trump's hair or anything absurd like the uh, story claims. Now, there has been a lot of pressure on The Atlantic to reveal its sources, but they have refused to reveal their sources. Here's what they're saying. They're saying that their sources have a code. They don't want to interfere in the Democrat electoral process, the Democratic process, the electoral process, really. So the these anonymous sources, they don't want to reveal their identity because they don't want to, they want to interfere with the Democratic electoral process. I mean, here they share a story with the mainstream media about the commander-in-chief insulting the military and saying all these horrible, horrible things. They have zero evidence, and they won't even put their name on it. And yet they're not interfering. They don't want to interfere. How could you interfere any more with the democratic process than they've already done. And uh, all you ever notice that almost all the, the damaging reports against President Trump are anonymous. And the other reason is they're afraid of the Twitter mob. They're afraid of their of, of the personal safety uh, of, of, of their families. Uh, and uh, Jeffrey Goldberg, again, the person who put out this uh, article, said he does expect there to be more reports on this matter in the coming days. I'm waiting to see that. All right, Mitt Romney is offended because President Trump at a press conference said military leaders, they just want to start wars. And President Trump has a great point, but Mitt Romney, he's offended by that. He found the, the comments offensive and wrong. Here's what Trump said. Trump said that the top people in the Pentagon probably don't like him very much because they want to do nothing but fight wars so that all of those wonderful companies that make the bombs and make the planes and make everything else stay happy. That was Trump. So he, basically, they, they just want to fight wars, these, the, the, these military leaders, the heads of the Pentagon, and Trump isn't, uh, isn't exactly a warmonger. In fact, Trump tr wants to end wars, not fight wars, and Trump has a point. And, and, and Mitt Romney says, well, how could Trump say that about these military leaders? Look, Trump has enormous respect for generals. He has enormous respect for the military. He has said that many times. He takes their words very seriously. I mean, look at the attacks that he's carried out. He, he hasn't carried out many, but there was Soleimani, there was al-Baghdadi. The, the, the attacks that Trump has carried out have been extremely effective. I mean, when he sees a target who's high level, where he, where he sees a terrorist target or something along those lines, a real threat, I mean, Trump takes action, so he's not afraid of military action. But he just doesn't like these endless wars, which cost billions of dollars and don't get anywhere. They just they just keep going and going and soldiers die. And Trump has to speak to these families and tell them the, the horrible news about what happened to their loved ones at war. And what's the point? When, when does it all end? That's what Trump doesn't like, which was something we can certainly debate for a long time. But 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 Trump, he does have a point. See. He has his own way of saying it. Is it hyperbole? You know, when he says that they just want to do nothing but fight wars, maybe is that a slight exaggeration? We know how Trump talks. We know Trump, he's very black and white. He makes these broad sweeping comments. But for the most part, it is so clear, if you look at, at the history, military leaders are pro-war. Much more often, if it was someone else talking, instead of saying, oh, they have nothing want to do, but they, all they want to do is start wars and help build those bombs and make money, they would, they would have said, listen, military leaders, they see things from a certain prism. This is how I would say it. And they tend to be inclined to, 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 to declare war or be in favor of war or in favor of military intervention to solve problems. More often than not, if you look... That's their job. That's their profession. Yeah, that's how they solve things. When there are problems abroad, hey, we got to bring in the military. And look, it's understandable on a level. Obviously, they have their own personal you know, biases and you know, per, per, they have their own personal uh, benefits that they gain. I mean, without any wars, the, the military leaders would essentially be out of a job. But Trump certainly has a very valid point there. All right. So we have some new polls. Uh, we'll start with the bad news, I guess. In Wisconsin, there's a new poll that shows Biden has a very strong lead. And this is according to Rasmussen. So we know Rasmussen generally tends to favor Trump. And yet, according to a new Rasmussen poll, 
Uh, President Biden is leading Trump by eight points in Wisconsin. Biden has 51 percent, Trump 43 percent. Now, that that probably means there are a bunch of undecided voters. And I, I, to me, un, undecided voters are going to lean toward Trump. Uh, that, that's my opinion. They're un, why are they undecided? You know, they, maybe you could tell me, well, they're undecided because they want to wait and see how Biden performs in the, in, the, in the debates. But to me, they're undecided because, you know what? The country is doing well. Trump has done so many positive things, but I, I don't really like him personally. His tweets are a little over the top. You know, he, he can uh, sometimes he can be get a little personal with the attacks. And I don't really respect Trump. I don't really like his style. So therefore, I'm undecided. I would imagine more people are undecided for that reason. And I think those voters, push comes to shove, they're going to vote Trump because they're going to realize that uh, Trump's successes and taking care of the country is more important than whatever his own personal character flaws are. Just my opinion. But either way, this is something that you, which is a little bit disturbing because we're already in September and Rasmussen is supposed to be the one who's showing Trump in the lead, uh, not like those other mainstream media polls, right? And Wisconsin is an important state. Now, Trump can still win uh, the Electoral College even if he loses Wisconsin. I mean, he beat Hillary by a landslide. He beat Hillary by, what, 70-something electoral points, electoral votes. So uh, he, he certainly had the ability, the leeway to lose a few states and still beat Hillary. If Trump had lost Wisconsin in 2016, he still he still would have won the election. But Wisconsin is a very key battleground state, so I don't want to diminish or minimize Wisconsin either. Um, let, let me give you the next poll here. According to a new Marist poll, this is big. This is huge. Trump and Biden are tied in the state of Florida. Now, Florida is much more important than Wisconsin. You could argue that Trump has to win Florida in order to win re-election. And according to a new Marist poll, which is a mainstream media poll, that has Joe, Joe Biden and President Trump tied uh, at um, 48 percent. And according to this poll, Trump is actually leading Biden amongst Latino voters, 50 to 46. And that is huge. Look, Latino voters, they know better than anybody. They don't want sanctuary cities, many of them. They understand it's in their neighborhoods that these MS-13 gangs, the drug cartels, they're happening in Latino areas. That's where the sanctuary cities very often are. And, you know, they, so, so they recognize how strong Trump has been for Hispanics, not to mention that before COVID-19, Trump gave, Trump had the, the lowest unemployment numbers for Hispanics in history in the United States. Now, he did that for blacks, too, and blacks overwhelmingly do support Biden. But uh, by the way, in 2016, Trump lost to Hillary. Latino voters in Florida, Trump lost to Hillary by 17 percent, 62 to 35, according to NBC's exit polls. And yet Trump is leading Biden amongst Latino voters in this poll. So that is absolutely huge. And look, here's how, you, how I have to look at polls at this point. If you're, there are two ways you can look at polls. You can either take them seriously and say, "Uh-oh, if Trump is trailing in the polls in the battle in the key in the swing states in the battleground states, then we're in trouble." Uh, or you can say, "Listen, we see that the tendency is that Trump loses in most polls to Biden. We don't know why. Maybe it's the pollsters. Maybe it's because people don't want to reveal the truth. We don't know. But 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 Trump seems to be trailing in most polls. And you know what?" Who cares? Polls don't necessarily mean what, what tell us what's going to happen, what the results going to be in November. The polls in 2016 were drastically wrong. They were so way off. So, you know what? We're just going to have to discount the polls. Those are your two options. Either you take the polls seriously or you discount them. Now, if you take the polls seriously and you're like waiting for that like moment, like you're waiting for like, all right, that's it. Trump has started to pull away. Trump is finally leading, leading in the polls. You, that's not going to happen. So, in other words, if you believe in the polls, and I, I know many of you don't, and I and I really I'm skeptic, very skeptical about the polls. But uh, if you believe in them, and you're like waiting 
for that tipping point. You're waiting for the for the scales to tip the other way and for Trump to finally jump ahead. Then I have news for you. I don't want to disappoint you and deflate your uh, balloon here, but uh, it's not going to happen. Okay, Trump is going now. He may close the gap if things may tighten, but Biden is going to be leading in a lot of these polls here. I'm just seeing the, the that's the trend. It does fluctuate. I hope I'm wrong, by the way. I certainly hope I'm wrong, but it's been already a few months where we're kind of waiting for that breakthrough moment. It hasn't happened yet. But but the, so the other option is to just ignore the polls. You you can look at the history. You know, you can look at 2016. You can look at all of Trump's successes. So those are your two options. Now, here are the latest poll numbers in eight key battleground states. Daily Wire had a list. So I want to read them to you because this is um, this could be very important. And again, it does show Biden in the lead in eight key battleground states, mostly not all of them, but it certainly does show Trump is gaining on Biden. So uh, especially Michigan, Florida, North Carolina and Wisconsin, those races have tightened. So let me read them. Let me go down the list here. The, the eight states are Arizona, Florida, Iowa, Michigan, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Texas, Wisconsin. In Arizona, Biden is up by five points. Uh, and in 2016, Trump won Arizona by 3.6 points. So that's a big deal. By the way, all these are according to the real clear politics average. So real clear politics they will actually, you know, aggregate. They'll put take a bunch of different polls and they'll average them out. Um, Florida, Biden has a very small lead, 1.8%. Trump won Florida by 1.2%. So Florida is going to be close either way. And that to me is neck and neck. Biden with a very slim lead in Florida, Iowa, Trump, has a 1.7% lead, so that's a slim lead. And I in, now in 2016, Trump won Iowa by nine over nine percent, and now he's only leading Biden by 1.7%. That's a concern. Michigan, Biden is only up by 2.6%. Trump barely won Michigan, but he did win Michigan in 2016 by 0.2%. So Michigan to me is very strong because you have Biden is up by 2.6%. That is way down. A few weeks ago, Biden was up in Michigan by 7.5%. Now that lead has shrunk to 2.6%. And Trump won Michigan by a very slim margin, so keep that in mind. North Carolina, Biden, it's neck and neck. North Carolina, Biden is winning by 0.6%, so less than 1%. And that is also way down. So very positive news in North Carolina, where Biden was leading by 4.6%. Now it's down to just 0.6%. Trump won by 3.5% in North Carolina back in 2016. Pennsylvania, Biden is up 4.2%. He was up 4.7%. That has become 4.2%. So that is a somewhat healthy lead. Trump won Pennsylvania by 1.7 points in 2016. In Texas, Trump is up three and a half percent. He won Texas by nine percent. And in Wisconsin, according to the real clear politics average, Biden is up 3.2 percent. That is down. Biden at one point was up by five percent. 2016, Trump won Wisconsin again, barely by 0.7 percent. And I'm going to point out again and again, you keep seeing Trump certain states. He won by a hair. He won Wisconsin by 0.7 percent. He won Michigan by 0.2 percent. Why? Because those are states that are mostly they are swing states, but they lean left. They lean Democrat. And we've told you before, Trump and Jared Kushner and their digital marketing team, they literally they they, they reached out to people on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, and they put out these ads at the very last minute. They bombarded. See, they used something called micro targeting where they targeted people based on their race, based on their political affiliation. Facebook and, and, and Twitter and Instagram, they know a lot about people. They know what their users, they know their political views, they know their race, they know a lot of things. 
So they target Hillary, targeted Hillary voters, showing them very negative ads about Hillary. And therefore, did they vote for Trump? No, but they didn't go out and vote. And trust me, they're going to employ the same strategy. And I believe that Trump's people are way ahead of Biden when it comes to digital strategies like that. Kamala Harris, not Kamala Harris, had an hour-long phone call with Jacob Blake, uh, the, the, the man who was shot and uh, paralyzed in Kenosha, Wisconsin, paralyzed from the waist down. And, and, and Kamala Harris, this monster Jacob Blake, this vicious thug, criminal, Kamala Harris, after this hour-long phone call, said that she was proud. She told him she was proud of him, proud of him. So Megan Kelly, former Fox News host, former NBC host, she responded on Twitter to Kamala, to Kamala Harris, I'm sorry, don't want to be labeled a racist, who's a person of color, but she's not a colored person. So uh, Megan Kelly attacked Kamala Harris. On, it's like I have to think every time I say Kamala to make sure I'm not saying Kamala. It's just nuts. So um, she attacked Kamala Harris for saying that she was proud of this monster. Here's a, here's a quote I'm paraphrasing, but essentially getting the whole quote here of Megan Kelly on Twitter. Proud of him. He's accused He's accused of breaking into a woman's house, attacking her, humiliating her, and later returning. Then the cops she called for help say that he resisted arrest, assaulted them, and went for his knife. How about a word for his victim, Senator? End quote. So there's your tweet. And by the way, Kamala Harris has again flip-flopped. No surprise. I mean, that's all she does. She, she just flip-flops. That, that's... That's like her favorite thing to do. So she used to be pro-police back when she was the attorney general in California, but now she's anti-police. Now she's opposed to police. She was asked on CNN whether she supports a strong police presence in cities. So Kamala Harris said the following, quote, If you go into any upper-class suburb in America, you will not see police presence, but you, what you will see are well-funded public schools, high rates of home ownership, and small businesses that have access to capital, end quote. So it's not about the police. Here's, I mean, unbelievable. If you go into any upper-class suburb in America, you won't see a police presence. So therefore, obviously, uh, it's not about having the police that, that, that keeps the crime low. I mean, how have you ever heard anything so absurd? They have it all backwards, the cause and effect. Yeah, if you go into an upper-class suburb, you don't see police because you don't see crime. Which comes first, the chicken or the egg? Well, it's like they go to this, you know, affluent area, right, this suburban area, and they're like, well, wait a second. And there's a lot of white people there, right? Well, wait a second, there's no police here. And then they look at this inner-city minority area, and, well, the police are all over the place. Well, what's the difference? Oh, well, obviously the police are the ones that cause the crime. This is the logic. The police must be the ones that cause the crime because we go to these high crime urban areas with the blacks and there's police everywhere. And then we go to this white affluent neighborhood and these suburbs and look at all these wealthy people, no crime being committed, and there's no police. So the police are the ones committed. It shows you what you can do with information, the way you could twist it around. It's absolute madness. So she says, well, look, there's there's high there's high there's well-funded public schools here. There's a lot of homeowners. So that's the key. The way you stop crime is we got to take all these minorities and we've got to give more funding to their public schools. We got to give them money to buy homes for them and we got to give them all these loans so they can start small businesses. Uh, the, the reason there's no police presence in upper class suburbs is because those people are not the ones committing the crime. I'll let you do the math here. And uh, Kamala Harris has contradicted herself. She wrote a book in 2009 called Smart on Crime, and she supported 
a stronger police presence in the streets. And she said it was a myth that poor neighborhoods do not want more police in their area. But now suddenly she's running with Biden and it's 2020 and it's post George Floyd. And uh, she knows exactly what she needs to say to get elected. All Kamala Harris, she doesn't have a single core position. She will flip on a dime on any position under the sun to the most radical extreme position. She wants to win. That is the only position that she actually that, that's the one thing she's consistent about is that she is desperate to win. Uh, according to an AP, this is you know the, the mail-in voting controversy just continues, and uh, it's only getting worse. And 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 I, it really is becoming a big concern because it, it, I I don't know what'll happen if there's a contested election, and if it comes down to the courts, you know I think whichever side loses could get very violent. We've already seen so much violence this year. So according to an AP analysis of rejected ballots, if mail-in ballots are rejected. At the same rate as they were during the primaries, it could be an absolute disaster. You're talking it, it, there could be so many people who uh, whose votes are not counted because this past year there were many, many, many ballots that were rejected in the in, in the primaries for whatever reason. So the AP did an analysis and they say that up to three times as many voters in November could ha- could not have their ballots counted in key battleground states compared to the c- compared to 2016. So again, they did this analysis of all the ballots that were rejected during the primaries this year, and at that rate, the rate they discovered uh, of rejection rate of mail-in ballots in the primaries, they're saying there could be as many as three times as many voters this coming election day whose vote doesn't count compared to the um, in in key battleground states compared to the amount of voters that were rejected mail-in ballots that were rejected in the last presidential election obviously that makes sense because there's going to be so many more mail-in ballots and this could be an absolute nightmare scenario here right remember bush gore in 2000 was decided by the supreme court and a lot of democrats were outraged but bottom line al gore conceded and he was pretty gracious about it. But that's not going to happen. These vicious Democrats, they are not going to concede to Trump. That's why they keep telling us Trump's not going to leave the White House because they're waiting. They're waiting to, 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 to claim that Trump is the one stealing the election when they're the ones who want to steal the election. And imagine if, if Chief Justice Roberts is the deciding vote, uh, whether or not Trump or Biden. Imagine if it comes to the Supreme Court again. And there's a Reuters headline. So look, it's in other words, there's 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 so much set up here for possible controversy and conflict and contentiousness because mail-in ballots. You know, we told you about the controversy over signature matches. There's just so many areas where mail-in ballots could just lead to like just total turmoil. Now there's a Reuters headline called uh, that says, "Quote: How a blue shift in U.S. mail ballots might set off election week chaos." Because what they're saying is that a lot more Democrats plan to vote by mail versus Republicans. So there could be so again, so it could be chaos. So that's actually the headline of the Reuters article, how a blue shift in U.S. mail ballots might set off election week chaos. So they're already preparing. You're going to see this more and more. The media and the Democrats talking about chaos because, again, they want what they're worried that Trump is going to win. And so they're trying to set up chaos benefits the Democrats. That's what's happening here. And according to Reuters, nearly half of Democrat voters say they plan to vote by ma- by mail. Only a quarter of Republicans plan to vote vote by mail. That's according to a Reuters poll. So what does that tell you? And they say that that a lot of that has to do with coronavirus fears. And for whatever reason, which I don't fully understand, it seems more Democrats are nervous and concerned about catching coronavirus than Republicans. So nearly half of Democrats plan to vote by mail. Only only a quarter of Republicans. Why do you think the Democrats are pushing voter by mail? 
so uh, so strongly? Why are they so desperate for it? There's your answer. Now, and, and not to mention voter enthusiasm. They know that people are not enthusiastic enough to go out and vote for Biden, even if they vote for Biden, if they, if they would in theory, but like they're not actually going to go out in the rain or if it's cold or if it's inconvenient or they have to work that day or babysit. But a mail-in ballot makes it easier. Meanwhile, a spokeswoman for the Trump campaign, she says that the media keeps conflating universal mail universal mail-in ballots with absentee ballots. And we've told you about this over and over again. The media keeps pretending that absentee ballots are the same as universal mail-in. They'll accuse Trump of being a hypocrite because he votes through absentee ballots, but he doesn't vote, but he but he's against universal mail-in ballots. And they're two totally different things. I mean, they're like stratospheres apart from each other. And uh, yet the media keeps pretending they're the same. Well, absentee ballots have worked all these years. Trump himself votes absentee. So let me read you this quote here from a Trump campaign spokeswoman. Her last name is Perrine. I seem to have uh, not written down her first name here, but her last name is Perrine. And she said, quote, listen, the only people, this is not to be confused with Dana Perino, by the way, the Fox News host, who's the former press secretary of uh, George W. Bush. She said, quote, listen, the only people conflating universal mail-in voting 100% 100% voting where you get a ballot to everybody on the voter rolls and we know voter rolls are notoriously filled with errors and absentee voting is the media. The media is allowing for the two to be conflated time and again. There's a big difference between like the president who votes by absentee. He cannot be at home on election day. He submits a request for a ballot. He receives that ballot, signs it and submits his vote. That's very different from what Democrats in, let's say, Nevada are trying to do, which is send out open live ballots to universal voting rolls to people who may not be active voters, to people who may have moved or have died. That is absolutely open to fraud. You're putting a live ballot out to everybody. That means if they're not there, somebody else could cast that vote, grab that ballot. That's an issue. That's what we're talking about here, and that's what Democrats are trying to do. So chaos in the election system to upend it right before Election Day. The president wants people to vote legally and legally once End quote. All right. Gun arrests are way down in New York City. Even though there's a surge in gun violence in New York City, gun arrests are way, way down. And it really is very troubling. Only about 20 percent of shootings in New York City have ended with an arrest this year, according to The New York Post. Usually the number hovers around over 30 percent, which is you could argue is still not a great number, but it's down to 20 percent. There have been approximately 1000 shootings this year in New York City. Only 210 have actually led to arrests, um, and, and the rest have remained open. So think about that. That is a shocking, staggering number. It's usually 30 to 33%, according to the NYPD. Now, the NYPD has blamed three things. They've blamed, for the, for the lack of arrest, they've blamed prisoner releases. Um, and the, the, I should say the city and NYPD have blamed prisoner releases because of bail reform and the coronavirus. That's number one. Number two, courts have been closed because of the virus. Number three, increased scrutiny on how cops do their jobs. Now, some of those are hard to understand, but that's what they blame it on, those three things. But the New York Post investigated, and they debunked the first two. So prisoner release because of the virus or bail reform, the closure of the courts. The New York Post says those are not the reasons, but they say the third is the most likely reason. The fact that the police, there have been, there's so much scrutiny now. The police are so afraid to do, to make a wrong move and lose their pension, or even worse, or get suspended, get arrested, or who knows what. Uh, so, so the police, they have just been handcuffed. No pun intended. The police, they, they, they've, just, they've been so heavily restricted in what they're allowed to do when making arrests. So now, apparently, they're avoiding these arrests. So, um, M- Maria. 
Haber's, Haberfeld, who's a professor at the John Jay College of Criminal Justice, she said, don't discount the fact that the police are under intense scrutiny and they're avoiding arrest. She said, quote, we cannot be ignorant of the fact police are under a microscope. It does not encourage the average officer to go out of his or her way to clear the cases because even when they do, there are accusations of misconduct. Right now, I think there is a fear to arrest because there is a fear of almost secondary victimization. No matter what they do, it's not going to be good for them or the department and it impacts the way they do their job. And by the way, we should also add, of course, um, the commissioner, Dermot Shea, he dismantled the the anti-crime unit. And the anti-crime unit, of course, supposedly, according to a lot of reports, not supposedly, but according to many reports, the anti-crime unit got hundreds of guns off of the street. That was one of their major specialties. And now they don't exist thanks to the defund the police movement and the anti-police uh, movement by the radical left. That's going to do it for today, and we will see you next time.